Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back, everybody, to the PeaceWorks Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk about male victims and female perpetrators. But before we jump into that content, I want to take a moment to remind you of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and if you are benefiting from all the things that you're learning on the PeaceWorks podcast, well, PeaceWorks University is your best next step. PeaceWorks University has a vault of past teaching materials, live Q&As that happen monthly, and a variety of other deliverables that change year to year to give our members a gospel-centered approach to domestic abuse intervention. You can find out more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. All right, friends. Well, today we're going to tackle a common question, something that we get asked quite a bit. And I know I say that, it seems like every every podcast I say that, but but this one really is a among the most common uh, forms of feedback, or I should say pushback, that we get. I don't have a full question on this today, but I do have just four words, and those words are male victims and female perpetrators. And uh, I'm willing to answer or talk about this question because it does come usually more in a more full manner pretty regularly. And so uh, normally... It comes from one of two groups of people. Now, granted, a variety of people have asked, but I would say if we were to take the the folks who asked this question and kind of put them into categories, the top two are usually men um, and then helpers. And um, there's definitely some concern that in the domestic abuse space, we focus, first of all, too much attention on male perpetrators and female victims as if it is only and always one-sided, which we know that it's not. Um, And then two, that we don't recognize the severity of domestic abuse from a female perspective, like as women who are abusers. So I'm going to try to address that as briefly and effectively as I can. I do think there's a cultural uh, aspect to this that, that I really want to kind of lean into a little bit and, um, and I don't want to be demeaning or diminishing in any way, but I do think there is a cultural understanding of abuse, especially within kind of the victim mentality and the, the victim nature of a lot of our uh, society today, that there is among some of us this idea that any harm that I experience, any offense that I um, receive is abusive in nature, that, that I'm somehow being harmed um, intentionally, severely, uh, with little to no responsibility on my part. And I, and I just want to say that at the outset, because if we hold a view of abuse that is basically built on harm alone, then yes, the, the statistics bloom. Everyone is abused and everyone is abuse, in a, abusive. And I think that's dangerous. And you've probably heard me say that. If everything is abuse, then nothing is abuse. And so abuse does have a framework 
that we feel very confident with. Now, is that framework ironclad? No. Is it formulaic in such a way that you can always tell at the outset? No, of course not. But that framework does consist of aspects such as the use of power to control. So abuse requires an advantage, I would say. Now, some would disagree with me, and there are uh, even people who use the term reactive abuse rather than resistive. Uh, but there is, there are concepts in this work that talk about power over or constructs of power. Uh, control is usually in some of the most common literature or understandings of abuse or experiences of abuse. Someone is being controlled. They're attempting to control. There's feelings of being trapped, restricted, restrained. There's a lack of agency, freedom. Those are pretty consistent um, topics within the work. The use of threat, and threat is given weight through force, generally speaking. That's why we use the word coercive control rather than just control. Because a lot of people can be controlling. Um, an overbearing boss is not necessarily abusive. There may be some issues, maybe some conversations need to be had, maybe some adjustments in management style, but controlling alone does not necessarily mean that a person is abusive. That's why we use the word coercive control. Control that is accompanied by the potential threat of force, the overwhelming um inevitable aspect of disadvantage that I have little to no agency, that this person has um, impunity, that they have this idea that um, even if they do harm me, there's no present accountability in their life. And so you start adding these layers of the framework, right? And that helps us as, as helpers see dynamics a little bit different. Even the word dynamics I've, I've been challenged on say, well, you know, abuse is not dynamic, but it's not static either. It actually has different variables, dimensions, depending on who we're talking about. I'll try to give an example, one that I used recently that, that may hit home and, uh, or may isolate me from some of the listeners. <laughs> so please show grace as I, as I give this analogy. Um, I was recently talking with some individuals about uh, Russia and Ukraine. And there are many complexities to any type of conflict between nation states, especially um, those that have such history and uh, violence and aspects of control, for instance, and power that have been part of their story for a long, long time. And, you know, I would say as a Christian, I'm not prone to violence. And I think it is inappropriate uh, for Christians to use violence. I think there's varying levels of discussion there. And so some of you are just war theorists, and that's fine. Some of you are pacifists, and that's fine. We have different theological takes on this. But generally speaking, most of us would say that it's not okay for a Ukrainian Christian to shoot a Russian. And yet, in this conflict, many of us would have different opinions about what a Ukrainian Christian can do once their country was invaded. And all I'm asking for is in many ways the same grace, the same discomfort, the same mystery to be applied to victims of abuse. Rather than just saying they can't resist or their resistance is always wrong, what if we highlighted that the abuse being perpetrated is always wrong? 
The encroachment is always wrong. Yeah, there's complexities to the problems. Are there things that victims could do, have done better? Are there things that wives could do better? Yes, but does it justify the force being used against them? Probably not. And then does that then cripple them or eliminate them or remove them from resisting? Probably not. What if we just looked at this as this conflict has gotten out of control, not because the victim has responded aggressively, but because the perpetrator has used their power to control. They have used force. They have dominated. And how will we address that? And so that's one of the reasons why so many of us lean heavily to this idea of male perpetrators and female victims. And again, it doesn't negate that the other is possible. Uh, It just leans heavily on our own theological understanding of power, control, dominance, fear, respect, those aspects of, um, of our theology that inform our worldview and therefore form our understanding of conflict, power, and control. Uh, Let me take another direction in the hopes of clarifying this a little bit more. When I have seen female perpetrators, and I have, uh, for years I worked um, in corrections for female perpetrators. I will tell you that the, the groups were much smaller than the men's groups. There were often fewer than the men's groups. And it was very difficult to fill the class. In fact, for years, having done men's groups uh, with criminal corrections, I would hear on the regular, when are you starting a women's group? We're overrun with women abusers. We've got so many women. Once we started a women's group, it was hard to fill. You know why? Because that wasn't true. It just wasn't true. Sure, it, it's glaring when you see a female charged with abuse. It's absolutely different. You're not used to it. Uh, third, it does seem, because it seems out of place, it seems unique. It, it kind of burns in your memory. And so I'm sure to the judges, the magistrate, it felt like they had an exorbitant amount of abusive women. But in reality, we just didn't. We just didn't. And that's been typical throughout the country here in the United States when it comes to criminal abuse. Because men and women are different. It doesn't mean that women don't sin. It's just women rarely sin through the use of force, threat, fear, and coercion uh, using power to control. Usually they use other means to sin. And we don't typically call those other means to sin abusive. Manipulation can be abusive, but without power to control and a lack of agency on the part of the victim of manipulation, it makes it very hard to call it abuse. And that's just one of those things where this sin is so much more likely to be committed by men because we have a unique capacity that we can use against our partners. Our physical strength, our dominance, our position, our power uh, makes a difference when it comes to how we, how we behave. So let's go back to, to the women perpetrators again. So of all the women that I've worked with, and even in the groups nationally, when you look at the research, most of those women were also victims of abuse. The vast majority of their physical force that they used were illegal forms of resistance. Yes, she ran him over with the car, but she had also been um, locked in her own house for several days. She had also been beaten. That doesn't make running him over with the car right. 
right? But it puts her resistance in perspective. I would still say, don't run your husband over with the car. I would still say, don't shoot your enemy. That's where I'm at theologically. Maybe you're not there theologically. But I also want to show grace to understand that I see where that came from. And I see that that resistance, I would much rather that resistance be biblical. Let's look at Matthew 5. Let's look at Romans 12. Let's look at 1 Peter. But at the same time, I want to hold the other person accountable for their use of force and dominance. So most of the time, we're dealing with resistive forms of violence. Um, about 10% of the time, unless the research has changed, I ha- honestly, I have not looked at the, the numbers in a, in a good while, so it could have changed. I guess it will actually have escalated this number rather than diminished it. But uh, early on, uh, women's groups for criminal abuse, about 10% of the women were in same-sex relationships. So now you've got resistive abuse, you've got same-sex relationships, which are, are very different dynamics, or I should say actually similar dynamics with power and control. And then you had another 10% or so who were committing acts of coercive control. And what you're seeing in those women who are abusing their partners is an aspect of power. Maybe they control the family business and they use the family business and the family income and the family reputation to manipulate so that that person does live in fear, fear of losing their livelihood, fear of losing their kids, uh, fear of losing their reputation, a fear of losing their home. And so there is an aspect of fear. Now, it is very different, and I do think it's different. I think we just have to be honest that it's different. In the scenario I just laid out, which is very possible, she may very well be abusing him financially and emotionally and psychologically, um, but she she may not be creating a climate of fear for his own life. Maybe she is. And I did have that in the past with a former military, a lady who was former military, who used weapons to threaten her husband, who was not as astute with weapons as she was. And she would use her knowledge of firearms to intimidate him. Well, that is a fear-based relationship, and that does harm and hurt. But then... What other aspects of power? Maybe the government. Um, maybe, like I say, reputation. But on the whole, on the average, overall, when we're working cases of abuse, statistically, practically, anecdotally, we're working with men who are using power to control their partners, and we're working with women who are engaging in various levels of resistance, whether it be illegal forms of resistance using force and violence that needs to be addressed or um, forms of resistance that are manipulative and sinful or forms of resistance that are complacent and um, placating their partner rather than speaking truth and love. And so there's all these aspects of a victim's response. And I bring this up because I think what is happening most of the time And again, I don't mean to diminish anyone who is actually suffering. Like I said, the lady with the weapons, the lady with the family business, um, a few other ladies I've worked with with connections to the courts or um, access to family who did the dirty work for them, you know, uh, brothers who were threatening. Um, Those are real-life situations. Those are real things. But generally speaking, 
most of the cases, overwhelmingly, that we're working, right, are men who are using power to control and women who are resisting. And we often see that resistance as sinful or inappropriate or we don't like it. Um, and so we sympathize with the husband. And rather than holding him accountable for the course of control, we demand gentleness and quietness from her. Now, is gentleness and quietness a good thing? Yes, I'm actually a big fan of this. I actually think there's some biblical resistance principles there. I think there's some great avenues uh, to gentleness, power under control, and quietness. Uh, But the idea of being a doormat to his demands because I didn't like your resistance is problematic in our work. And so a lot of times we mutualize abuse. They're both abusive. Well, I've rarely seen that. I've seen both of them be sinful. I've seen cases where I've been told they're both abusive and abuse isn't present. It's just marital conflict at a real high degree. But no one's using power to control. And I think that goes back to the cultural argument. I think we have cheapened the word abuse in many ways to mean any time that I feel uncomfortable or um, I feel bad or I feel hurt. And, I mean, if that were the case, then many husbands are going to feel abused, right? Because wives are sinful too. But if abuse is about power and control and that framework that we talked about with coercion, coercive control and fear and threat, then absolutely we're going to see that in a little bit different lens when it comes to a husband relating to a wife and a wife relating to a husband. So I I hope that clarified some aspects of why we uh, are so gender-specific in the work that we do. Not only statistically do we see that, uh, we see that criminally and es- escalatory in an escalatory nature, men are far more likely, even if you have men and women who are both perhaps groups of men and women that are angry, groups of men and women that use force, the extremes, like the ones who are going to go too far, the ones that are going to be the most damaging are always men in regards to that. And so, that's why criminal abuse is so much more likely to be men. Now, um, in aspects of emotional and economic abuse, there has to be an aspect of power in my mind. That's what I'm looking for uh, is power, power to control, threat, fear, harm that associated with those. And uh, I hope that adds some clarity as to why we focus so much on men's use of uh, violence and men's use of force and men's hearts because I think it's a sin that's really not unique to us, but much easier for us as men to be tempted into, uh, where I think it's much more difficult for our female counterparts, for our wives uh, to enact, to um, accomplish the same goals. So I hope that was helpful. I hope that adds a little bit of clarity and not too much confusion. We appreciate you guys so much for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast, for listening week after week. If you would, please rate, review, subscribe, follow, like, whatever the platform you're listening on asks of you. Would you let them know that you appreciate the PeaceWorks podcast? We'll probably dive into this topic again real soon because I know there's a lot, there's going to be a lot more follow-up questions about that. Um, But I hope that this added a little bit of needed clarity to the work that you're doing. Until the next time, God bless.